I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. It is a very exciting day here at One World Trade Center because A, it's our one-year anniversary, and B, it's time for our second annual Thanksgiving Spectacular. I don't know if you're old enough to remember those variety shows from the 70s like Donnie Marie and Sonny and Cher, but this is like, this is our version of that. We've got all sorts of awesome things coming at you today. First up, I sat down with Claire Saffitz and Carla Music from our food department to get some rock-solid cooking advice for the big day. Um, we hear from the real Thanksgiving authorities, who turns out is not us editors, but our parents, who've been doing this for decades and decades. And I sit down with Sam Sifton, food editor of the New York Times and author of Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. We talk about how to strategize for the epic feast that is Thanksgiving. But first up, I talk turkey. Guys, welcome to the show. Carla, thanks for coming. Always a pleasure. Claire? Hi. Good to have you here. Um, for us in the in the magazine biz, Thanksgiving is kind of like Groundhog Day. It's like it comes around every year. We got to do it. We got to be clever about it. Um, and and I feel like every year you guys do an amazing job in the test kitchen introducing cool new recipes to the reader. Uh, this year we have a winter squash agridolce, for oh, instance. I, I just sent that to my mom. Did you really? Yeah, I really did. And explain agridolce. Agridolce is sweet and sour. Vinegar, heat, usually dried fruit. That one's paired with uh, sweet roasted squash. So it gets all syrupy and glazed. Yeah. Delicious. So I, I do think it's interesting. At, at the Thanksgiving table, you want something new every year to sort of just throw that throw that curve a little bit. Um, but I, I feel that at Thanksgiving, perhaps more than any other meal, you've got to nail the classics. And if you don't nail the classics, you will have a lot of unhappy diners. Um, so let's let's talk about, about how to do the essentials and do them well in and, and, and that sort of fail-proof way. So talk me through... A couple ways to make turkey this year, from classic to a bit more advanced, if you will. Carl, what do you got? Well, I actually like to take chances with the turkeys, so classic to me is not that important. I'm all about the awesome method. And so a couple of years ago, we started doing a dry brine spatchcock method, which was in the magazine. This year, I'm doing the dry brined spatchcock grilled turkey. Okay, let's, all right, first of all, dry brined. Dry brine. So dry brine versus wet brine. Dry brine is just a mixture of it's salt and sugar. Those are the important things that you got to be mindful of that ratio, right? You can't be too salty and it can't be too sweet. What is that ratio? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, Generally, usually, it's like two, two to one salt to sugar. More, okay. Definitely more salt than sugar. And we, we generally call for like a brown sugar. And then you hop and, it up with various spices and herbs and stuff? Right. And the amount of the brine will depend on the size of the turkey. So we always call for a 12 to 14, which we think is pretty ideal. 12 to so 14 pounds. 12 to 14 pounds. You don't need 14 turkeys at your table. Right? I mean, it depends. <laughs> We're big, actually ordering two turkeys this year. So, right. so yeah. th- it's like a dry rub for barbecue, for exactly. instance. Exactly. How long do you have to let it infuse the bird with flavor. So when you chill the bird overnight or up to 24 hours and you don't have to cover it, just pack the salt on there and, and leave it. And the skin dries out and gets super crispy. Yeah, you're going to get a ton of flavor and it's going to go all the way down to the bone, which is really the key. Like your sur- if you season just the surface of the turkey, that's like a really thick breast. And then you roast it, you cut into it, and the outside might be perfectly seasoned, but the center of the breast is not. That's why I only eat the skin. Well, yeah, that's smart. <laughs> and then I eat, and then I eat ham. Okay, so all right. So, but in your case, Carl, what you're talking about is you're gonna it, you season the bird regardless of how preparation. But what you like to do is spatchcock the bird, which is another way of saying butterflying. Correct. Correct. So the backbone is taken out and it's flattened, sort of open, open up like a book in a that butterfly shape. So you got you got it spatchcocked. You got the uh, the brine all rubbed in there. But this year you're gonna grill it. 
I'm going to grill it. Explain. Well, I just feel, and in my experience, the combination of smoke and the kind of gamey flavor of turkey meat go really, really well Mm. together. And it also frees up the oven. And I love to grill. And I grew up with a mom who grilled turkeys sometimes in the summer as like an alt like barbecue situation. So it just doesn't seem that crazy to me. Are you doing a charcoal grill, gas grill? How does this work? A uh, charcoal grill in our in our neck of the woods. Yeah. So you could use a gas grill. Um, the key thing with this method is that it is over indirect heat. So if you're using a gas grill, you're going to put a couple, one or two burners on and put your turkey on the cooler side. With a charcoal grill, bank the coals on one side of the grill and put the turkey on the cooler side. And this one grills skin side up. pretty much the whole time. You might have to maneuver it, get it to fit. What is the turkey? Is it actually, is the turkey itself on a, on the grill itself? Is it on a sheet tray or what is it on? Directly onto the grill. Oh wow, directly on the grill. And so you put it, you start it meat side down, skin side up. Yeah. So the, yes, the inside of the bird, the bone side is down on the grill and you really just let it ride. It goes about half an hour. You peek at it, shift everything around so that the side that was closest to the hot coals Okay, switches around and then keep it covered. And in one hour, this turkey is perfect. Wow. And the cool thing about it, too, is the brine doubles also as the seasoning later. So you just make sort of extra dry brine. You brine the turkey in that. Then you season it again and and keep it going. So you have this beautiful bird. You take it off. You just bring it to the cutting board and then carve it up. Yeah, it rests like any other turkey Mm -hmm. should. An hour is great. Wow. Yeah. And uh, just beautiful inside. It gets that blue smoke ring. It's a sweet and spicy um, brine, which I think is so nice with the other traditional flavors mm-hmm. on the table. So you get a little bit of smokiness, a little bit of that paprika flavor, a little bit of brown sugar. I think it marries really well with like sweet potatoes, with mashed potatoes, with a with a non-smoky um, gravy and something bright. It just is a really nice pair. Final question before we move on to turkey number two. Um, when it's on the grill, how do I know it's done? Use a thermometer. You know, the lowest temp needs to be at 150. Okay. And we did a lot of experimenting this year as well and are recommending taking it out below 165. It will um, in that resting time, that temperature is going to climb. You're going to get to a, a 165 safe. Don't worry about it. But if you t- take it all the way to 165 and let it, then let it rest, it's dry turkey time. Yeah, no one wants that. All right, Claire, let's say I want to do that classic Norman Rockwell turkey that I can bring to the table and everyone's going to go, oh my God, that's gorgeous. How did you do it? How do you do it? The key for this one is a pretty straightforward roast turkey, but I think the the trick to the really beautiful picture-perfect centerpiece is a glaze at the end, so you get a really lacquered, shiny look uh, over this hopefully beautifully rendered golden skin. So we, we developed a glaze that uses a little sherry vinegar and some brown sugar and soy sauce. Soy sauce gives you like a Ooh, very beautiful, that's interesting. almost like a, um, like a Peking duck, yeah. beautiful lacquered finish. I love the word lacquered. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do you, if you were eating the bird and someone did not, if you didn't know it had soy sauce in it, do you think you would detect it or just? just, just I don't think so. It mostly just adds salt to it, and you're getting sort of a sweet sour mix from the brown sugar and the sherry vinegar. So it's all kind of marrying together, and it goes back in the oven. So you you cook your bird to temp, and you take it out, you let it rest for a little bit. Again, temp is about one fifty. One fifty. I mean, I to be perfectly honest, when I cook my Thanksgiving turkey at home this year, I will be pulling it at 145. Wow, you are living the whole on turkey. the edge. Yeah. 
So just to be clear, you're not adding the glaze until the very end of the roasting process. Right. You're cooking it all the way through. And then basically you're putting the glaze, you're brushing the glaze on and then putting it back in a very hot oven just to let that glaze kind of caramelize over the skin. And that's it. All right. What about the whole roasting process? I always heard sometimes you're supposed to start breast side down, then you flip it over. And is this something we endorse? And if so, why? We endorse it fully. I think it makes a big difference in this recipe. I think the, the, the advantage to doing that is starting with the backbone up and the breast side down. So you start to render that skin in the back and you start to cook the thighs a little quicker. Mm. Because when a turkey is in a roasting pan, even if it's in a rack, the sides of the roasting pan insulate that dark meat at the bottom. Totally. So by starting it with the backbone up, you start to render the fat out of that out of the skin and you get the dark meat going and then you turn it over and, and you let the breast cook until it's done. All right. Now what about carving a whole bird? And ha- what's the basic technique? Because we've done it in the magazine a few times where it's all fanned out and gorgeous and it looks like, you know, Jacques Pepin just came by your kitchen. What's what's the key to doing it in that really cool way? I think if you if you can carve a chicken, you can carve a turkey very beautifully. I would start by removing the legs. So we're taking the thighs off. And when a cr- turkey is done, the joints are loose. They're really easy to cut through. So I would take the legs off and then I would take the breasts off. And when, you is, say, and when you say that, you mean you're taking a knife and you're going along the breastbone. You're taking the entire breast off yeah. and you've got that on a cutting board after it's sat for a while. And then you slice that like on the diagonal. So yeah. you get that nice fanned out big slices of white meat, each with right. a strip of, of skin on it. Right. And then you arrange that on the platter and it looks gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can present the bird whole. This is really, this is a photo ready bird. So you can bring it to the table and then run it back into your kitchen and carve it that way. Well, that's another question. What do you guys, because I remember when I was a kid growing up, my dad always would come to the table with the electric knife. And it was, <laughs> I mean, it was cool and all, but it was just like stuff flying everywhere. And he had no idea what the heck he was doing. God bless him. But it was like, you should take it back to the kitchen to do the surgery, right? Always. It's that it's really fun to go into the dining room with the whole turkey and go around and ta-da and everybody claps and it's awesome and then you go back into the kitchen put on your full suit of armor (laughs) and get into it and the other thing is really you're waiting an hour to carve this turkey that's another if you've ever carved a turkey that hasn't rested long enough you're just burning your fingertips steam is coming out all over the place you can't touch it it's just really really difficult and also don't try to cut the slices too thin because not only will you shred the skin that adam wants to Mm. eat exclusively Mm. but it um it cools down so fast if you have thin slices really good point all right so uh, for you listeners out there, you can go to the November issue of Bon Appetit or check us online at bonappetit.com for our glazed and lacquered roast turkey, which is on the cover of the magazine. Or if you want to get all Carla music on us, you can get the barbecue spice barbecue spice brined grilled turkey. All right, guys. In my opinion, if you have turkey, you have to have mashed potatoes. My my favorite thing on the table. Definitely. Um, let's talk about the classic way to make mashed potatoes. What's the foolproof method, Carla? This is my thing. I don't cook Thanksgiving dinner. My mom does, but I bring the mashed potatoes every year. I cook them in my house in the morning, so you can definitely do them ahead. I'm a firm believer. Um, You want a waxy potato. We endorse a Yukon Gold. I like a fingerling. If you're at the farmer's market, get a Larat fingerling potato. It's a waxy type. They're pain in the butt to peel. You have to peel them. You have to cook them gently in salted water. Okay. Oh, oh, this is the question. So then 
if you're using Yukon Golds, which are pretty re- readily available, and let's just say that that's what you should use, um, should you cut them in half, like when you boil them, like so they're? I cut them into like one and a half, two inch pieces. Okay, so you, you simmer them; they're done. Simmer them gently. Any banging around, any boiling, any knocking, you're going to get all of the the starchiness is going to start to rub off. They're going to absorb too much water, and then you're going to have wet, like that's yeah, not good, bland. I've made all of these mistakes. I do that thing I learned years ago after I drain the potatoes. I put them back in the hot pan and let them steam for a little bit over maybe low heat or just on the residual heat of the stove so that extra moisture evaporates. Is smart, that good? Th- it's a smart thing to do. All right. So you got you got your dried out potatoes steaming hot. Am I mashing them? Am I using a food, a food mill? Am I using a ricer? What do if we like? If you have a ricer, use a ricer. If you have a food mill, use a food mill. And a ricer, for those that don't know, it's like one of those giant Play-Doh things. It's like the hammer. You put it in there, and it's got the little slots in the bottom. And it's like, yeah, if you, if you ever played with Play-Doh, it, it kind of comes it's out the your, bottom. Yeah, your, your potato spaghetti comes out. Exactly. And the food mill is the hand crank thing that goes around. It's got, usually they come with three different discs, a kind of coarse to very fine. I like the fine one because... It's just a smooth, it'll be smoother in the end. So you've got these very smooth potatoes. They're still hot in theory. They should be. They better be. And then what are you adding to them? Butter and milk. So are you heating the milk and butter and melting the butter? Or are you putting it in room temp or you what's the technique? You should heat the milk. The butter I do at room temperature. I drop pounds of butter into the potatoes as they're going through the ricer. Um, and it coats them all with butter. It's also just a really easy way to get the butter incorporated with the potatoes because you're mashing them anyway. It all goes through, lands in the bottom of the pot, and then uh, you add the warm milk as you're stirring until it gets to an almost liquid consistency. And sometimes you'll add milk and be like, oh, my God, it's soup. I made potato soup. It has a magical uh, ability to come back together, especially if you're making them ahead of time. Well, that's a good question. So if you're not making them, if you're serving them immediately, I imagine you can get away with adding a little less liquid. But if you're serving them later in the day, they do sort of firm up a little bit. So you want to add a little bit more liquid than you think. Absolutely. Um, And I always, when I'm making them ahead, which I always do, I um, float a little bit more milk on the top. Once they've gotten to the right consistency, you're seasoning them with salt, black pepper. People put nutmeg. I'm not into that. People insist on white pepper. It's not my jam, but I understand it. Claire just wrinkled her nose at nutmeg. She made a very displeased face. All right, so you've got the the, the mashed potatoes in the pot. You'll put a little butter and milk on top, a little floater on top, and then you take them to your mom's. And then the question I think a lot of people have is how do you reheat them? I reheat them low and slow, stirring all the way down to the bottom of the pot as they come back up to temperature. And if they're dry, throw a little more milk in But you've got to be on top of it. It's not not like you just put the stove on and walk away. Absolutely. This is not a set it and forget it. Like, oh, they're heating up. And that has also happened. And I almost killed my sister that year because it was her job to stir them. And she didn't. She's having a bourbon or something. Um, Wow. I'm I'm really hungry for mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. But Claire— Yes. If you got mashed potatoes, you have to have gravy, right? You do. And growing up, I have to be totally honest, my family never had gravy. What? I recently confessed this in the test kitchen and I felt kind of shamed. What did you they? did you grow up in the depression or something? <laughs> no, it just was something we it was never on the table. Wow. And so this is something I've discovered as an adult. And now it's like, I can't ima- I can't believe we ever had Thanksgiving without it. You must be the hero every year. <laughs> and the problem is most people have a pretty dry turkey, so you really need gravy. I mean, I, I didn't know that I missed gravy, but I missed gravy as well, a kid. Yeah, good gravy fixes all mistakes. Absolutely. Just cover the whole plate in it. First question. So you're just going to the grocery store and you're buying some turkey wings and stuff? Or what are you buying to well, make this I recent, I recently discovered that at a lot of places, a lot of grocery stores right around Thanksgiving will sell turkey 
like backbones and other and other bones because they're selling turkey breast separately. So you make a stock, you put it in your freezer, you defrost it for Thanksgiving. And I think what people, a lot of people don't know is that to make a really good gravy, you need the turkey and all the drippings. You yes. can't, you, you can't just do it on your own. So yeah. the turkey comes out of the oven. It's on the cutting board resting. You've got all this sort of fat and crispy bits sloshing around the roasting pan. What do you do? The first thing you want to do is defat the roasting pan a little bit. You want, you need fat to make gravy, but you don't want to have too much because too much fat will make sort of a greasy oil slicked yeah. gravy, which so how is do you, bad. How do you defat a pan? Well, hopefully it's not too hot. I would let let everything cool down a little bit and then basically pour out all the drippings into like a glass measuring cup mm. and then pour back in around a quarter cup or so. You want like an even coating on the bottom of the roasting pan, but just not like you know, you don't want a whole cup of turkey fat in there. So you're saying pour back in a quarter cup of fat yes. into the roasting pan yes. itself. And try to leave all those little browned crispy bits in the bottom of the roasting pan because that's going to be flavor in the gravy. All right. So then what do you do? So you got, so you have a roasting pan with crispy mm-hmm. bits. You have a quarter cup of, uh, of fat in there. Now what? So then you want to set the roasting pan over two burners on your stove. Generally, a roasting pan is pretty big, so you want to mm-hmm. heat it over two burners. Heat the fat back up, and then you're going to basically add in a little something to thicken, a little flour. We have been using Wondra flour in our gravies in the test kitchen. Wondra is really cool. It's a super fine powder. comes in a blue sort of tube. A lot of professional chefs use it, and it just dissolves really smoothly, right? Yeah, it does not form lumps. It dissolves really evenly and really quickly, and it thickens really quickly. So you you pour that in, and with a whisk, you're whisking together to form a roux, which is like a paste, right? Right. You're basically cooking the flour into the fat, and it's forming this really sort of toasty, delicious paste. And about how long do you want to do that over the heat for? Do it a few minutes. You want to cook out any of the rawness mm-hmm. and the flour, which happens over, you know, maybe about five minutes. So you want that nutty brown, but you don't want to burn it. Yeah, and you want to be whisking constantly. I think with a surface area as large as a roasting pan, you want to constantly be moving things around so that nothing burns in the edges. Get out the corners. Yeah, you kind of want to be whisking all around as mm-hmm. you go. So, all right, so you, so you got your roux going, and then meanwhile, you have your turkey stock that you made a couple weeks ago heating mm-hmm. up in a pot Yes, on it stove. should be warm. Mm-hmm. It should be sort of barely simmering, mm-hmm. which will help you eliminate lumps. And then are you just dumping the whole thing in? Are you ladling it in? What are you well, doing? Well, I think before you start adding stock, you could add something to kind of deglaze and start to dissolve the little browned bits on the bottom mm. of the pan. So you could add a little wine or a little sherry to add another layer of flavor. Are you doing that before you make the roux or after you make the roux? After. All right, so you add a layer of flavor, you scrape up those crispy bits, and then you're ready for the stock. Yes. And this is, you want to ladle it in slowly. You don't want to put it all in at once because mm-hmm. that's going to form lumps. So you want to basically slowly dissolve the roux into the liquid. Continuing, so. continually whisking. Yes. One hand's whisking, one hand has a ladle. You have the, the hot stock right next to your roasting pan, and you're kind of just adding little by little. It's a workout. It's a process. You, you can't rush good gravy. Okay, so we've got this silky, delicious gravy, creamy mashed potatoes, a lacquered or grilled bird. Um, basically, you have everything you need for Thanksgiving, but you got to have dessert. Um, I've gotten in trouble recently on Facebook for saying I'm not a big pumpkin pie fan and half of America has attacked me. I don't know. I'm just being honest. Um, <laughs> well, what can I say? Carl, what are you serving uh, this year for your Thanksgiving dessert? I am serving a couple of big apple galettes. When you say you have to have dessert, you have to have desserts, right? So yes, my absolutely. assignment is this um, is to bring the apple dessert. So I'll do two of the uh, big apple galettes, very simple, pastry crust, sliced apple, a little melted brown butter on there, um, a little salt, a little vanilla in the oven. They're crowd pleaser. It was a hugely popular recipe last year. And what's the name of it? Salted butter apple galette. Search for it on bonappetit.com. All right, Claire. At the Saffitz household, what will you be serving for dessert? Always apple pie. It is the the must-have dessert of Thanksgiving. Classic apple pie. Yes. 
Uh, and then pumpkin pie, which mm. I think is also a Thanksgiving classic, and it's not Thanksgiving without it. So how do you make yours? I think pumpkin is sort of a blank canvas. That's how I look at it. Uh, so I like to add a lot of other flavors. I think a little bourbon is really nice. I sort of I cook basically a caramel in a, in a pan, and then I add all the other ingredients in pumpkin pie. So the pumpkin puree, the eggs, a little bit of butter. That doesn't uh, sound too bad. A little cream. It's delicious. And just to be clear, we're, we, we're okay with using the canned pumpkin puree, right? Love it. Yeah. Libby's canned pumpkin. It's hard to beat. Don't, don't mess I've with it. I've done everything where I've roasted my own squash. I've done butternut. I've done kabocha. I've done actual sugar pumpkins. And they end up being such a watery puree. It really yeah. dilutes the flavor. So the Libby's canned pumpkin and just any canned pumpkin is really concentrated. And it's been – all the waters have been drained out. So it, it makes for a great pumpkin pie. Very and silky. And you're using a basic crust? Basic pie crust. All right. Well, guys, uh, Carl Music, Claire Saffitz, thank you so much for joining us today. And happy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So at Bon Appetit, every year for our Thanksgiving issue, we editors gather around a big table. And we don't eat, we argue. We debate the merits of a butterfly turkey versus a whole roasted one. We talk about what to bring to the Thanksgiving dinner. We talk about what to wear. We talk about what to eat before the big meal. And this year we realized that, well, maybe we're not the foremost authorities on the big day. The people who are are our parents. After all, they've been doing it for decades and decades. And so many of us on staff, we still go home for Thanksgiving. We don't host. So why not? spend some time talking to the people who do. So this year, we called up our parents and aunts and uncles to get their advice on how to host the big day. Uh, so we're going to hear now from Carol Lolly, mom of food director Carla Lolly Music, Stephen Morocco, uncle of senior food editor Chris Morocco, Sue and Joe Rivera, parents of our director of content operations, Stacy Rivera, and finally, my mom, Maxine Rappaport. Hosting, um, at least 30 years ago. It was a little ad hoc before that. Um, my mother still did it sometimes, and we went to um, my in-laws one year, and we were not going to talk about that. <laughs> this is actually Carla's rule, and it's a good one. Uh, no devices at the table, but that's a basic. I try for that all the time, unless there's a, something some argument that must be settled and then Google has to come to the table. It's, um, it's not dogmatic. It's not, it's not mass. My wife Denise and I have hosted Thanksgiving since 1999. So it's, what's that, 16 years? We don't scrimp on the calories at our house uh, over Thanksgiving, ever. If you're on a diet, keep it to yourself. If we don't have eight pies, we have nothing. We definitely have rules. And the rules are, if you did not help either set up or cook, you must clean up and wash. We try to ask people not to break glasses, but that's almost never happens. <laughs> We've been through a lot of glasses. This is really starting to feel easy, believe it or not. I mean, in the very beginning, it was really stressful. But now, it's just worked smoothly.
We married 53 years this year, and I've made 50 at least. There's something about Thanksgiving that should be traditional. Basically, the whole meal is around what I was brought up with on Thanksgiving. I bathe the turkey in salt water and brine it and clean it good in the morning. And I butter it up, salt and pepper it, and I wrap it in bacon. Everybody's (laughs) got to see me in my underwear. This was supposed to be my interview. (laughs) What's one thing that you would never have to take? The phone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long day. Well, it's a long three days. But she's got the shopping, and she's got the preparing. You know, and I help her with everything. <laughs> oh, God, how you lie. <laughs> That's why we're together 53, 53 years. <laughs> I know the exact first one was 1969. So say 40, 50 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, 45. I set the table Wednesday before Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) There's always something that happens at the last minute, and the table has to look right. And I do, you know, the full thing with the sterling and the crystal and the fine china and a nice tablecloth. And I don't just put placemats out and that kind of stuff. Um, I I could, but, you know, that's not my style. And uh, things have lightened up over the years, of course. But, yes, originally, you know, you had to have a tie if you were a certain age, and a jacket. Well, then the tie left, and then eventually the jacket left. But I think still a nice, you know, press shirt. I mean, you know, come on, this is a holiday, you know. You can dress up a little bit. Ripped jeans, neither. No, 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 no. (laughs) I guess I'm really traditionalist. (laughs) I can live without kale. Cooked, raw, it's an overdone thing. The one problem, and I think all mothers my age have, is we would like to introduce something different. It's the kids who say, oh, why don't you do the old stuffing or the old pumpkin chiffon pie? But they're happy to put it in the magazine, and that's terrific. And I probably would not even do a turkey. He doesn't like turkey anyway. That's why for many years we had a ham along with the turkey. But tradition is good. So anyway... Um, that's about it. Yeah. That's okay? That's awesome. It's a wrap. That's it's a wrap. wrap. <laughs> All right. I am psyched to be here with Mr. Thanksgiving, Sam Sifton. Sam's just laughing at me. I am a little bit. <laughs> Your wait, oh, day job is? My day job is I'm the food editor of the New York Times. And yet, this time of year, I am known far and wide as Mr. Thanksgiving. And you've been known that way for a while now. And, and you, you really brought it to the fore, if I may, uh, three years ago with your book, Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. You know I love this book. Um, what I love about this book is, is it's so direct. It's so confident. It gives you as the home cook confidence, and I, I just love the way you just lay it down. Well, this is the whole notion behind having a good Thanksgiving, is that you have confidence that it's going to turn out well, and you can push that confidence on all in your family, all around the table, and weather the storms that are surely <laughs> going to come. All right, so what I, what I want to talk to you today about is, um, yeah, Thanksgiving is a lot about cooking, but I contend that 
as much or even more so, it's about sort of executing and managing the operation. Now, for you, you do it all the time. I do <laughs> yeah. it all the time. Uh, but for a lot of people, this is the only time they're really going to have 15 people around their table, and it freaks them out. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's like opening a pop-up restaurant in your apartment or house for, for one night. Right, and you're not a restaurateur. No. And, and I you're not a chef, and you're scared, and you're nervous, and you don't need to be. It is, as you say, about execution. What I love about your book um, is the introduction. And your very first sentence, you say, Thanksgiving is not easy. (laughs) The holiday is for many of us a day of travel, of traffic and stress. It is a day of hot ovens, increasingly drunk uncles, and crowded dinner tables, of people arriving late or needing to leave early, of burned yams and spouses who forget to buy the one thing, the one thing you ask them not to forget to buy. Thanksgiving can be a hard day to manage. It takes strength. So... How do you manage? Can, let's talk tips. Well, I've done it a lot. So at this point, I think I might be the drunk uncle. Just see if I can go on that high wire and, and execute uh, while smashed. You're like on you're like on Thanksgiving number 28, right? About yeah. hosting? Yeah. I th- well, gosh, I guess time yeah. flies. Yeah, I must be up there around there. Yeah, I was about 25 when I went into the book. So it's now I'm, I'm approaching the big 3-0. Yeah, good Lord. Um, the important thing is uh, is to make the plan early and then just execute on it. There are going to be problems. You're going to have to call an audible here and there. But if you make the list and know what you're going to do, then all you need to do it. All right. So first of all, for you, when does Thanksgiving start? Well, speaking as the food editor of the New York Times, (laughs) uh, around August 10th, um, uh, since we need to sort of plan out Thanksgiving for the nation. Um, but for myself, I'd be lying if I said that the most important weekend isn't the one that immediately precedes the holiday. Okay. There, there are plenty of people who at the end of the first week of November have already made stock. They've got pie dough rolled out. I'm, and, not, I'm not one of those but, people. But that's okay, right? You, that, should, you, could, oh, you can use your freezer. I would love to be that person. Can you imagine if the pie dough was already done on November 9th? You'd I, feel like a, like a king. I could not imagine. What'd you do today on <laughs> November 7th? Oh, I made some roasted turkey stock so I'd be ready for Thanksgiving. I wish I was that guy. And I, I champion those who are that guy or gal. But really, it's going to begin in earnest uh, the weekend before the feast. Okay, so what are you doing this weekend then? So this weekend, I will get the turkey, which I'm um, getting, as I have for many years now, from Molaski's Farm in Calverton, New York, um, right near Riverhead. Okay. um, On the east end of Long Island. Fat turkeys, really, really delicious. Um, Not, I think, college-educated birds, (laughs) but they do spend a lot of time outside playing ultimate and reading poetry and stuff, and they're they're really flavorful. So I'll get the bird. What's the poundage on that bird? I think I'll probably go in the 22-pound. Wow. Okay, big. And so when you get is when you buy it, is it frozen or is it refrigerated? No, or? it's a it's a fresh bird. Okay. Um, and uh, a fresh bird is generally quite cold. They yeah. ke- they keep them very close to freezing. They these guys want a sweater as soon as you and you put them in the fridge and they're going to be fine. All right, so you're in Riverhead. You pick up the turkey, stick that in the fridge. What's step number two? Well, hit the uh, hit, hit the farm stands. Get some good Long Island potatoes. Get some cauliflower. Get some broccoli. Get you know some sweet potatoes. We're laying not quite the dry goods basics yeah. in, but the sort of not super perishable vegetables that I can just have sort of ready for me when I begin cooking in earnest, which will be on Wednesday night. 
Yeah, these are not tomatoes. They're not going to go overly ripe or anything in That's three correct. days. That's correct. That's right. correct. Um, what about the stock? You talk about how important it is to have good stock in your book in terms of making gravy and, and moistening the stuffing and whatnot. So when do you make the stock and how do you make it? Well, um, once again, I would like to report that I make a huge batch of roasted turkey stock uh, of weeks beforehand. I generally don't. Um, the turkey comes with the neck bone in it, and just roasting that neck bone will give me the basis of a relatively decent stock. About how much stock do you need for Thanksgiving Day in terms of making the gravy and all that sort of stuff? That's, that's an excellent question. I would say uh, the small... So, not saucepan, but raised uh, pan that I used, probably four quarts, so a gallon, yeah, over I, the course of the day. And it kind of I use it for everything, and it kind of bubbles away. Sometimes it's cooking down a little, add a little more water, and it goes, yeah. goes up. But uh, I would say there's a gallon over there. Do you conscript other guests into the, the operation of Thanksgiving? The dirty little secret is a lot of us who are inveterate hosts who really want to put on a great Thanksgiving are at heart kind of control freaks. Oh, yes. It's hard to give up tasks. Nevertheless, I think it's really important to do so, to allow everyone to feel a part of the feast, not just as guests and not just as people eating and, and, and giving thanks to one another, but in the preparation of the thing. So how does a control freak do that? Why don't you make the pie at your yeah. house and then bring it over well, and put exactly. it in the corner? Or, you know, I have a friend who's made our dressing for years, another friend who, who, who makes the mashed potatoes for years. And you trust them. Oh, I trust them absolutely. But that's on you to select the quality the quality guests out there. The win belongs to the coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. Adam. <laughs> um, in terms of tools in the kitchen, you wrote about tools in the book. Um, what are some essential tools, kitchen tools that you rely on that you think the average home cook might not be taken full advantage of? Well, let's see. I mean, how to answer that? You, I think that there are a lot of people who don't take the roasting pan all that seriously because it's the one time of the year they're cooking something big, so they go with the tinfoil one yeah. from, the, from the supermarket. Do I need to go out and buy a $200 all-clad roasting pan? Oh, it's such a good roasting pan. But nice and heavy on the it's bottom and everything? super heavy, French style. Those are really good to have. But they cost 200 bucks, and maybe you don't have 200 bucks because yeah. you're 25 years old and this is your exactly. first Thanksgiving. So what, yeah, well, that's a good point. Like, well, so, you, you, you write about in the book your first Thanksgiving. It was you and a bunch of guys in a group house and how memorable that was. What do you do if you're in that position? This is your first Thanksgiving. Here's my considered advice there. Splurge and get two of those roasting pans so that it's a little bit more The aluminum ones. Yeah. So now you're spending $3 instead of $1.49. Not right? two all-clads for $400. No. That's your move. <laughs> yeah. Maybe my move. But no, you spend $3 on the two big roasting pans, which will give you a little more structural integrity when you're kind of yeah. bringing the bird in and out. Um, that said, I do think a good roasting pan can do a lot for you, particularly if for some reason you're one of these people with a convection oven and you want to maximize the amount of um, surface area of the bird that's exposed to that circulating heat. So a lower pan would be good there. Um, but it's not crucial. What's crucial is to have a good knife. You only need one. It could be a nine-inch chef's knife. But it, if it's sharp and you're comfortable with it and the balance is right, that thing is going to help you all day what is the most common question you get from sort of distressed home cooks? Um, there are a lot of people who do not heed the advice to thaw the bird in time. 
And those guys are in a lot of trouble. Is it that they just don't understand how long it takes to yeah. thaw a bird? Yeah. Which is, we'll tell it. How should you do it? Um, I said I'm going to pick up this fresh bird on Saturday and keep it in my fridge until I cook it. I'm not brining this year. Brining, as you know, yeah. is a sort of like it comes in and that's like the width of ties or the, <laughs> uh, skirt lengths or what have you. But if you get a frozen bird on, on Saturday, it's going to be tight. So really, get, so, yeah, and the fridge, people's fridges are cold. It's thirty-seven degrees yeah. in there. It's going to take a little while to come down. So, so you know, uh, Friday, well, Saturday, get it, get it start start thawing, buddy. Let's say if you're the kid who like it's Tuesday evening, you're like, oh man, I got to get on this. I'm going to go buy a frozen butterball turkey at the grocery store. Can I defrost it in time for? Thursday afternoon? Not really. I mean, you could probably get it going a little bit. Because you can't just leave it out on the counter. Well, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) On tape. (laughs) On tape. I might push the limits of health myself to get it done if it was a reality show. Um, But no, I wouldn't wouldn't advise it. You could... Hair dryer? Use a hair dryer? No. God, no. (laughs) But you could soak it in water. You could put it... You could put it in the tub. That would help dissipate some some of the temperature in the same way that your ice cube. And I've your heard about glass that. If you're gonna do it, down. it's in room temperature water. Yeah, 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 and and move it around a lot. And then I think what I would do is as soon as I could get a knife in there, I'd I'd cut it up, spatchcock it to the oh, best of my ability. Yeah, and then that would decrease the time of thawing and then get it in the oven. But that sounds like a rough Thanksgiving. All right. You've got the meal prepped. So by the time the big day rolls around, you're in pretty good shape in the Sifton household. Um, Pre-game. How many people are you having over to your place out on the east end of Long Island? And and how long is the pre-game? What are you eating? What are you drinking? Okay. Well, I have uh, some particular rules about this. What a shock. (laughs) and, And one of the rules is no appetizers. None. None. That's not entirely true, and I'll give you the, the, the one exception that I allow. The fact of the matter is I'm not working from the Saturday before the meal until the meal itself to provide a groaning board of Thanksgiving delights just so Adam Rappaport can come into my house, eat three-quarters of a pound of nuts, and mm-hmm. then decline second. <laughs> That's not what I'm about. That's not what right? we're doing. So – you do want to serve something during that pregame, right? You need something to nibble on. Yeah. So let's make it oysters. Ooh, interesting. Because if you crack open a bunch of oysters, first of all, the act of doing it is magical to most people. They well, can't not, believe wait, 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 it. Time out, though. But I, I'm, I'm worried about the turkey, the stuffing, the gravy, the this and that. And now I've got to shuck oysters also? No. Bro. Not everyone is like execute, cap, Captain, cap, exe- Captain Sifton over here. Execute the plan. We know that the turkey is going to come out of the oven, let's say, in an hour, and Mm -hmm. it's going to rest for half an hour. Okay. During that time, I know we're going to make the gravy. We made cranberry sauce the night before. The dressing came over with Kurt, who makes it every year. There's Ricky in the kitchen. He's finishing the mashed potatoes. I've knocked down the Brussels sprouts. I've got the um, sweet potatoes under the turkey. It's rocking out. They're like five, six other things. Everything's kind of copacetic at this point. You're just checking things off the list. Yeah. So what's out on the porch? A bag of oysters. Mm. Bust those open with some Prosecco. You're outside. Imaginary children are playing touch football. (laughs) The Labrador is bouncing hither and yon. Is the TV on? That is an excellent question. The TV can be on if there is football, I think. It's part of our American tradition of the day. 
But I don't want to watch the Thanksgiving Day parade in the morning. That's me. No. Some yeah. do, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. No, I'm not that guy. My sister does. She loves that stuff. What are you pouring for after dinner drinks? Are you like an Amaro guy, a bourbon guy? What, what does that well, mean? The, it means bourbon. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is America. It's an American tradition. Yeah, but I'm didn't not... did, wasn't Christopher Columbus like kind of from Italy and he yeah. discovered America? Well, so listen, Amaro would be you would be could, kosher. You, you <laughs> <laughs> kosher Amaro for Thanksgiving. <laughs> we could start something. Yes, uh, I like I like some of your other rules. Um, in, in the book, uh, you had one quote: "You can have your salad tomorrow." That's true. <laughs> I, don't a- see, I don't see a place for salad at the table. <laughs> You've got greens. You can do greens. You don't even necessarily need to cook the Brussels sprouts. You could have shaved Brussels sprouts. There's some delicious recipes on nytcooking.com that will answer just perfectly. But the notion, the continental notion of a salad either before or after the meal <laughs> seems anathema to the Thanksgiving spirit, in my opinion. It just offends Sam Sifton. It does. Um, what about dessert? What are your dessert rules? I know you must have some dessert rules. Well, I, you know, it's a binary world, cake or pie. And mm. Thanksgiving is a pie holiday, and I like, to, I like to have pie. I like a pecan pie. I like an apple pie. I like a pumpkin pie. Who's making them at, at your house? I occasionally will make an apple pie, but mm. I, I have friends who are excellent pie makers who will contribute to the feast, my wife sometimes. So pie making is one of those things you're happy to delegate. Uh, I am. Okay, so last question then. When does Thanksgiving end? Oh, interesting. As a host, Thanksgiving ends when the final guest has departed, and we'll stipulate that at least in my household, the guests stick around. There are a few on the couch for a couple <laughs> days, right? So Thanksgiving really ends when you're done with the last of the leftovers, which in our case will be the, the carcass of the bird rendered into a st- super, super stock that I used to make uh, gumbo. And what day do you, is that typically? Ooh, depends. There are a lot of factors there. I would love to say that's Monday night and then we're done and done and off to the races. Um, but it, it's been the middle of the week. It's, I've, I've pushed it to six or seven days. Wow, that's impressive. Wow, that's when you cook like a 25-pound bird and six people don't show up. <laughs> what, um, are you the type who sends uh, your guests home with leftovers packed up or do you like to hoard them all to yourself? Well... Personally, I would like to hoard them all to myself. My wife, however, is a smarter, kinder person and uh, accompanied me to the restaurant supply store where we sometimes lay in goods for for big holidays like this and had the brilliant idea of getting a ton of little Chinese food containers. So the last few years, we've been sending uh, people home with their own leftovers, which I think they really appreciate. I think people love that um, because uh, that's such a integral part of the holiday. Just like you said, people like to contribute to the making of the food so they feel invested in the holiday, but they also want to have that day after Thanksgiving. Um, I am more than happy to part with a lot of turkey. I don't want to give up the gravy or mashed potatoes or stuffing. I want all that for myself the well, next day. You got you should keep <laughs> you should keep the lion's share then and only give what you're willing to give away. All right, before we let you go, Sam, we've got to subject you to our lightning round. All right. Either or questions, you got to answer. All right, ready? Pinot Noir or any other red? Golly, I'm going to go any other red on that. I think that the hoops that we jump through to make the right choice for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sam just air quoted. Um, are just ridiculous. Touch or tackle? Oh, uh, got to go touch. We got the kids around, you know. 
they they can handle tackle. You just, I, I, I think can't. it's you who can't handle I tackle. Can't. Yeah. <laughs> you start to blame it on the kids. Uh, grocery store or heritage breed? Um, well, I sort of hit right in between. At yeah, ca- what at is Calverton. the bird? So the bird that they are growing there, the breed of bird that they are growing there, is the awesomely named most common turkey breed in the United States, the broad-breasted white. <laughs> That's just an unbelievable name for, for a turkey. Are they certified organic? How do they describe them? The only label that really means anything when it comes to to turkeys is organic. Everything else, there's a fudge factor yep. involved. Pecan or pumpkin? Oh, I'm going to go pecan on that yeah. one for sure. I'm with you on that one. Good. Uh, tie or no tie? Oh, I don't think that I don't think I have worn a tie at Thanksgiving, and it should be noted we're both wearing ties right now. <laughs> Skinny ties, and we're both inveterate tie wearers. I don't think I've worn uh, a tie at Thanksgiving, but once or twice. All right, I like that. A couple more questions. Um, oh, this is a curveball. I want to get you in trouble a little. Uh, Rachel or Bruni? Oh, I. Th- that is an impossible question <laughs> to answer. Well, give it a try. So Ruth Reichel, um, uh, former restaurant critic of the New York Times. Frank Bruni, former restaurant critic of the New York Times. Sam Sifton, former restaurant critic of the New York Times. And really, put them all in a hat, you can't tell the difference. These guys are all the same. <laughs> but you can tell the difference. Oh, no. I, 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 I write exactly like yeah. Frank Reichel. And <laughs> Ruth Bruni was terrific. Two more questions. Um Full apron or waist tied? Ooh. Well, that's great. I love the notion of the waist tied. I really do. But it seems to kind of fail. Exposes you. It exposes <laughs> the chest area yeah. to turkey juice. <laughs> yeah. So I go with the I go with the full. All right. Final question uh, for our lightning round. The, the closing question usually is butter or olive oil, but I know the answer for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to say, ask you. Uh, salted or unsalted? Oh, uh, unsalted butter is the way to go here. You can add salt uh, to your heart's content. I think there's a place for salted butter in in the refrigerator. Um, that place is for toast. Exactly. It's awesome on toast, and particularly if you're going to add you know jam or jelly or marmalade, to have that salt against the sweet is just fantastic. But to cook with this stuff, no bueno. You can <laughs> add the salt yourself as you go, and a high butter fat butter, like a plugra, some European-style thing with has a slightly higher smoke point, these things are, they're key to the, to the experience of Thanksgiving in full. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Sifton, former restaurant critic for the New York Times, current food editor of the New York Times, and author of Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Adam. All right, guys, that was our second annual Thanksgiving Spectacular. Thanks so much for listening, and you know we will be back next year talking turkey, and all that other good stuff once again. Thanks a lot. This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.